Welcome to 10 Pounds of Ink, the writing review podcast that focuses on the storylines and the booking inside of the NWA. And it's all from the perspective of a professional wrestling writer that works in and all around this entertainment industry. Ogway, I'm Jaden Frost, and I'm a two-time world record writer, a best-selling playwright, a 2024 Pulitzer Prize candidate, a published author, a haunt writer, and I've worked on storylines, booking, characters, all sorts of stuff. And this podcast is all from the perspective of my clipboard in Gorilla. So, let's talk NWA. So this first episode is going to be very simple. We are going to be talking about NWA Power, episode 128, Keep Your Enemies Close. And we're going to go through everything from the beginning through each individual segment. And I'm going to tell you what I rank each individual one based out of five bells. Five bells being the best, one bell being, well... Maybe something can get zero bells. We haven't seen it yet, but we don't know. So zero to five bells, I guess. So that's basically what this entire podcast is going to be. And at the end of this episode, there's some big news that just come out about the NWA that I want to take a second to talk about. And it's about something very, very near and dear to my heart. Are the territories back? Whoa. Blew my mind the second I saw it. I was scrolling through Instagram and I had to stop. And I was like, oh my God, this is exciting. And if you don't know what the territories are, just Keep in mind, you're going to learn more and more about the way the wrestling business works the more I talk on here, and we get to talk about the rest, like the writing and everything on the inside. So I'm excited. Let's get to talking about this and what my notes would have been if somebody would have hit the curtain and asked me right after each segment. Let's get this started. So starting off, one thing that I do want to talk about that is uh, not directly uh, pertaining to this episode, but just something that I've noticed that NWA does now and uh, with power. And I think that it's really, really cool is having the separate cinematography, like the recap, and then they use the cinematography that was, say, maybe from a another filmmaker that they brought in that wasn't directly to television. Instead, it was more so like you're here to capture a montage type of thing. I really, really, really enjoyed that. It just, it made you feel like um, you're seeing things through the lens of of the audience opposed to seeing it through the lens of the creators itself. Because when we remember these big moments in wrestling, we tend to romanticize them and we think of them in a more beautiful type of way. Uh, And that's kind of what I felt like this cinematography represented using the slow motion and and using way more um, like artistic perspectives. And it's the same thing with the entrances. I really enjoy that they're using these cutaway entrances and we don't have to watch like the, I know uh, traditionally NWA just started everything in the ring, uh, but I, I don't know who implemented this, but I really love the cutaway entrances. I think it's really, really cool. And overall, it just kind of makes you feel like the show's special and like you're watching something a little different because it is studio wrestling and it isn't. Uh, directly in front of like a huge live audience like all the other promotions are so it's you're you're allowed these liberties and i think that the more of these liberties that they take maybe not so much so like uh the thunderdome era in wwe where they were doing these huge cutaways and putting pads in certain areas and stuff like that i mean like that stuff's cool too i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hate on it but uh nwa is a very traditional style show so i do like the idea that they're in using these new modern techniques, but not necessarily like clouding it up with uh, a lot of modern perspectives on professional wrestling, uh, at least, you know, in a way where it's like, it takes you away from the the nostalgic feel that the NWA does have. 
So I really, really appreciated that. And even though that doesn't go towards my rating, and I probably will continue to talk about this throughout the show, um, and as the podcast goes on, I just want to kind of take a second and say, like, shout out to them. They're doing an amazing job over at NWA and the production side. And I just, I'm, I continue to be impressed with the innovation. And that's really, really exciting. And the first match of the night is Markova and Rising versus M95 for the number one contenders for the Women's Tag Team Championship. And starting off, M95 made this throw together look so strong, and it honestly felt like two top workers were in a tag team, opposed to it just being two people thrown together. And I know that, you know, Markova's been there a while, and she's been grinding, and this is actually Rising, if I'm not mistaken, she's very new to the NWA. So it's not two top workers together. But with the way that M95 worked the match, it definitely felt that way. Opposed to it being like, oh, here are two people and we're trying to give them some shine. And I thought that was really, really good. So M95, shout out to you guys for being an amazing tag team and just doing some great work with, like I said, a throw together. You know, you made them feel like they were supposed to be in the ring with you guys. And being former tag team champions, like that, that's a very, very big deal. Uh, a gripe that further added to the throw together feel, though, is that Rising never let me feel like she needed a tag that often. Once she got in the ring, she felt like a singles wrestler in a handicap match, which could, you know, be used for the future tension between her and Markova if this doesn't pan out for them, like winning the championships. But I would have loved to have heard commentary talk a bit more about that, considering this is a new team and that disconnect that can happen from that, especially considering they won despite. Um, like heading into the double down, Markova is like calling for the tag in the corner, but Rising just won't stop fighting. And if they would have lost, that would have been directly Taylor's fault. And this is a big opening for a future rivalry if this is the way the dynamic continues to be with them in the ring. Uh, Markova's hot tag was solid, and the timing was good. And she has, you know, Markova just has the body language of a champion. It just makes her stand out when she does anything. Uh, something that, you know, you learn whenever you're doing graphic design or character creation is that you should always be able to tell your creator or your you should always be able to tell your uh, character by their silhouette, you know? So if you take like Scooby-Doo and just turn them into a black shadow, you should always be able to identify that as Scooby-Doo. And, um, you know, it, that that's always going to be in your great characters. And Markova has that, the way that she gets up from the ground, the way that she stalks and sits and leans over and that type of stuff. And I'm not just talking about her shapely silhouette. I'm just talking about the way that she contorts and stuff and moves. She has this impeccable body language that is undoubtedly her. Um, so, but in this, um, you know, in the big hot tag and uh, et cetera, I did have some gripes because unfortunately so many big moves happen so fast and some that were, which like were no sold and then results in, into a kick out. And it really makes her look like she doesn't have enough in her to make those moves count. And I know hot tags go fast and stuff like that, but Markova blew through them so fast that I didn't get a chance to catch my breath before the near fall. And because of that, I kind of like, she does the cutter. And the cutter is kind of, you know, notoriously like, I mean, if, if you saw any clips of her where she was on stage with Billy Corgan and et cetera, during the Smashing Pumpkins show, and then she hits the cutter on that one guy, I can't recall who it was, but she hits the cutter, the crowd pops, da 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 da. This is clearly a part of her signature. And the fact that she hits this cutter to head into a corner move, it's kind of like, mm, you know, like at the end of the day, the, the RKO, the diamond cutter. These are, I mean, even look at the 3D. Anything that usually involves a cutter uh, is, is an, uh, it's a move that people really care about. It is a move that is protected usually. So the fact that she uses a cutter to, to feed into the corner, I just, I feel like that doesn't work. So like, 
I don't know, maybe save the cutter. Cause I like her cutter. I like how she rolls into it and et cetera, but like maybe not use that to feed into her corner spot. Um, but you know, the finish was solid. Everyone's timing was fantastic. And the transition into the finish was pretty flawless. Uh, Markova's finish looked brutal. That, that submission, I don't know how it would look with somebody who is not as flexible. And I I've watched quite a bit of Markova, but not enough to like really retain what it looks like on every single person. Assuming she's used that before. I believe she has. I know she has had to have because the commentary puts it over pretty heavy. Uh, but I can't say that I've watched a lot of her matches that involved her finish. So this was very new to me watching it. And I, uh, I, I was honestly really impressed. I was watching it and I was like, nah, she's got a tap. Like if they would have held out for a long time and then she would have tapped, that probably would have been nice. Uh, but you know, she, she tapped out quick and I looked at that submission and I was like, I would have tapped out quick too. <laughs> you know, like if it, it felt like, Ugh, that looks like it hurts. Uh, but overall M95 did a fantastic job of making them look like they're ready for the tag team championships. Uh, but, uh, also, you know, Markova and rising one, I forgot to say that, but, uh, for the booking for to be such a clean finish, it makes them look even more far removed from the time that they were champions, uh, being M95. Um, I would have loved to seen a little bit of conflict between them or perhaps a misstep or two to show that they're not on the same page because being former champions for over 200 days, there is no reason that they shouldn't have won this against the new tag team unless they made some blatant mistakes. And, you know, so Markova is actually getting really good too and is less clunky in her movements than I've seen in the past, which is really, really good for her. I know she just had that big match with Camille too, uh, which I was really, really excited for her on that because I mean, she's been gunning for it and, and to be in the ring with someone like Camille, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so, but her confidence is growing and it shows, um, rising held hers. I, I really enjoyed watching rising as well. And I firmly believe that she's going to be one of the best in NWA. If not, she's that she's one of the best right now. I, you know, I can't wait to see how far that they go with this. And I'm pretty captivated by this new tag team. If I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, but let's see them work a little bit more together. And um, I, I want to see them work less like singles and more like a tag. Uh, because right now, I'm interested in shit hitting the fan with this tag team more than I am in them actually being a great tag team. And that kind of makes me feel a little more like it's a throw together than it is uh, a tag team that I should get expect or a tag team that I should be expecting to watch frequently. Um, it just kind of almost feels like it's leading into a storyline between them. So if they are going to do that, I think they're doing fantastic. But if they're trying to build this as a tag team to solidify them and have them have a good run, uh, I, I definitely want to see a little more out of them in that regard. So overall, I give this match a three out of five bells. Um, solid. I think it was really good, especially for a curtain jerk. It gets you interested and keeps you captivated. Gets you going. Yeah, good work. Our next segment is a promo with Chris Silvio Esquire and Blake Troop with Sam Laterna. I want to say it's Laterna. Um, um, not sure, uh, but she did a great job interviewing, and I, I kind of had my feelings about this segment. Um, specifically, well, I mean, in comparison, whenever you can, you know, consider what happens at the end of the show. Uh, but Sam did a good job on casually interviewing, but I would like to see her with a little more confidence in this type of setting, uh, because she felt timid. Uh, and I think that was supposed to be in like representation to them, like, or in reference to them, like the way they were supposed to be. But I just didn't really get that because they didn't give her a reason to be timid and her performance felt like something was about to go off yet. Her tone kept calm. 
So that just felt a little jarring. Uh, and overall, I really do think that Chris should have taken that mic. I know that she's holding it and she's the interviewer and she's supposed to, but he was getting really intimate and showed he was caring about what he said. Uh, but by letting her hold the mic in front of him, especially because he's shorter too, it took away his ability to command the promo. And I would have loved to see him take it and like step into the center and just like kind of force the perspective on them on just him, like perhaps have the camera move toward him. And I know that they, they do this on the sticks on the tripod. So maybe Chris moves towards the camera instead, but really taking that center stage uh, because Chris talked about paying his bills, man. And that's personal, you know, like and their visual should really reflect that. Uh, Troops part was really uneventful. Um, and it was, but you know what? In his defense, though, it was really hard to follow Chris getting intimate and personal like that. Like, I really wouldn't have known what Troop could have said at that point uh, in, in a perfect scenario where I would have been like, yeah, I'm really glad you said something. So I think, like, his strength in that position should have just simply been like, no comment. You know, when Sam passes the mic to him, he's like, no comment. No, I'm, that's, he's going to say it. He said everything that needed to be said uh, because just his stature alone, would command respect in that situation. And I think that he could have really controlled that. Uh, so my rating for this segment, though, um, I do like what they're building with here. Uh, I like the storyline. I like where they're going, all that type of stuff. I just think that maybe a little more and a little less, like all at the same time, uh, the seasoning just kind of seemed to be off. And because of that, even though it could have been a good dish, it just felt kind of bland. Uh, so my rating for this segment is two out of five bells. And my next match is Colby Carino versus Matt Vine for the Junior Heavyweight Championship. And I really did like this match. I do have my gripes with it. But for a mid-card match, man, it was, it was solid. Um, I, I really, really did have fun uh, watching it. And there was a lot of times where, like, I wasn't thinking about taking notes. Which, you know, whenever you are, you know, in the entertainment industry, if you can turn off your industry brain and just turn into a fan for a second, that's then somebody's doing something right. And I think that they did something right here because there was a lot of time that I was just like watching the match, even though I wouldn't say that it was a banger or a barn burner. I was still like, Whoa, I really, really did just kind of get captivated and drawn in. Uh, so overall it was a solid mid card and I found myself really wanting more from these guys, uh, which is what I look for in a match like this on this type of show, because the strength versus speed psychology was done really well. You know, uh, Colby, made himself look like Vine could have manhandled him. And that was wonderful. But unfortunately, I didn't get that feeling from Vine directly. He is incredibly strong, and he is made to look that way. So I want to see more of him showing that kind of strength. Adding a little more ferocity into his movements will do wonders for him. Because that Spinebuster sequence was so clean, and it made me want to see more of him in a place like that. Uh, like, Because his body language, or just body language in general, is everything. Uh, but his body language was really off. And Colby sold everything like he was working with Triple H in like 2000 and, you know, Vine was jacked. But Vine did everything so slow, like, you know, and it just didn't make sense. Like, I really wanted to see that, uh, what do they call it in, in weightlifting? Oh, that explosion, you know, when you explode out uh, while you're lifting. I wanted to see a little bit more of those types of movements from him, like we did with the Spinebuster. Uh, where this match lost itself on me, though, was the lack of tension. And 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 bear with me, because, like, this is not a overall critique saying it was a bad match, but this is why the match didn't rank higher for me. Uh, because when Vine was overpowering Colby, he didn't lay the heat on that heavy. 
like very few pinfall attempts and made him feel almost apathetic about winning the championship. Like there was no competitive spirit in him at all. It seemed like a couple times he would take his time to get to a pinfall. Like I saw him, like he hit the sidewalk slam and he checked his mouth real quick before he went in for the pin. And it's like, man, you just reverse this tilt to whirl or a Karana, like, and you put him down in a sidewalk slam out of nowhere. You, you should be going for that. That's your first big pinfall attempt. You don't wait to get to that pin. Um, and and honestly, I would have liked to hear commentary, like talk a little bit about that as well, because imagine you're like watching a championship game and like football and you're watching the other team just kind of putter around the field. It's like, it's hard to believe that someone will win when they don't show any competitive spirit towards trying to, uh, trying to win. So the aggression and excitement he had on the Spinebuster near fall should have been his perspective throughout the match. But Colby did a fantastic job of defending that title with tenacity. But if people don't challenge for it with the same tenacity, it's like the champion cares more about the belt than the competitors do. And in that case, it kind of takes away what makes the belt so special because you're like, oh, well, I have to, I cl clearly the champion cares. But like if the person fighting for it doesn't seem to care as much as the champion, is it that important, really? Uh, but Colby carried this match really well, and it's had its moments where it was, I was completely captivated. And, you know, I don't have a lot to say about it because it kind of was a great mid-card match. Uh, but since it was a championship match with no tension, it, it that's kind of what bugged me. I just couldn't seem to get into it because of that. And But it was still a really solid effort and great storytelling with building Colby as a champion that can overcome odds, including like those of strength differences. So, um, you know, of course, this was built to push Colby, but we want to see more Vine too because, I mean, you want to build your stars. So I definitely think that they're there, uh, just a little bit more on kind of getting Matt Vine in there. Um, if I got, yeah, Matt Vine, I want to make sure I got his name right. Uh, but making sure that we get Vine in there, just like really like picking up his strength and tenacity because he's a bigger dude and he's in the junior heavyweight division. So he's going to like, he may be weighing as much as everybody else, but he, he looks like he should be throwing them around, which is why he was booked that way. So I would really like to see a lot more energy out of him. Uh, but overall I give this segment three out of five bells. And our next segment uh, is Markova and Rising doing their promo that's supposed to be quote unquote uh, post match. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> remember at the beginning of the episode, I said, I'm excited to see Rising and Markova. And I still stand by that. I really, really do. So I'm not going to speak much on the fake tired performance, but because, you know, you know, seeing them kind of holding their back and like the heavy breathing and stuff. And you could tell that they weren't actually out of breath because the way that they were doing it, there's a certain way that you breathe whenever you're out of breath. And there's certain ways that you breathe when you're faking it. And you could really see it in both of their performances, which, you know, maybe that's just me being a director and that type of stuff working in the industry. I'm, I'm used to picking out bad acting, uh, but I did not enjoy that, but I'm not going to nitpick on it um, because that wasn't my gripe. I feel like if, if I sat here and was like, oh, that's why the promo didn't work for me, I'd be lying because they could have pushed past that and I could have forgiven it. Um, it didn't work for me because I was excited to see this promo come up because I was hoping it would have shed some light on this team and their overall intentions. And granted, it's kind of what they did. But at the same time, it felt like they just told me everything like I already knew. Like I learned nothing from this promo whatsoever. Um, and I am truly excited to see more about this team, but this you know, this promo felt like a, a de like a detriment to them because such a large part of the show was given to them already without this. And then they're brought into this promo and they do it really weak. 
And uh, like Markova just kind of seemed to say facts. Like she offered no new information whatsoever. Even as far as to say like next week we're facing for the championships. And we're like, we already know that was kind of at the beginning of the show. Um, so this also could go into production. Uh, perhaps they did the post-match promo before they did the match. And maybe they didn't think too much on it. Like initially it was supposed to be like, all right, we're going to play the post-match uh, promo directly after them. But then they gave a little bit too much time in the show, and it's like we've already moved on from that, and we already got that information. So if you're not going to come back up in the middle of the show and give me new information, don't rehash what I already know. Uh, and that's kind of what it felt like. And in a, <laughs> I kind of laughed at the uh, at some of the the dialogue because I, it's not that the dialogue was bad. I think that Rising is going to do really well. And also, is that like terrorizing? Is that like a, a reference to Hunter's old gimmick? <laughs> I don't know. Taylorizing, terrorizing. It's really close. And I think she does do like a, a pedigree thing because I remember somebody going for a pedigree and then commentary putting that over. So it might be a reference to tri uh, Triple H. But um, yeah, I just, I need more information. If you're going to give me a promo, especially if I've already seen these people on the show, um, you know, don't just put them on the screen because they're pretty. Uh, give me a reason. Give me a reason to care where this championship match is going. Because these are two very charismatic women, and, and you can see it in them. You can definitely see it in them. So give them a reason to be there. Give them some tenacity. Maybe people aren't doubting. Come up with something like maybe they read it on social whenever they got off, you know, or, or they heard a fan say something. You could say those types of things like, oh, they were leaving, and they heard a, overheard a fan yell out to them something about how they don't deserve it, or they got lucky, or something like that. You know, like give me a reason for them to give me some more information than just them being there rehashing what I already know, because that's precious time on, on the show you could give to somebody else. Truly. Uh, it did not need to be them or you could have even given it to the champions. I think that that would have worked really well. The champions saying that they're ready for them next week. Like that would have gotten me a little more excited for the championship match. Uh, so I'm not trying to be rude here, not trying to be rude, uh, but I am going to give this one out of five because it just did not work for me. And I felt like it took up precious time on the show. So I'm giving this one out of five bells. So a pretty pro uh, promo heavy, uh, show. So we, uh, our next segment, of course, you know, it's old school, it's NWA, it's nostalgic. It's going to be heavy on the promos. Uh, but uh, let's where this one was a bit more old school and I'm kind of, uh, happy to talk about it. It's a little bit quick, my analysis of it, but it is Aaron Stevens, um, having a, a back and forth with Kyle Davis and then is interrupted by Trevor Murdoch and Mike Knox. Uh, it's a podium promo. So really fun, really old school. If you are not familiar with NWA's promo style, kind of think of, excuse me, think of like the hard times promo or the alligator shoes promo. Uh, these, that's, that's the podium promos, man. Those, those are the most important ones that you're going to get in the NWA. You put them in front of the live crowd and you get kind of get everybody going. Uh, and I think Aaron Stevens just kills in this role. Uh, Stevens continues to shine with the manager role like none other. You know, he makes himself like one of my favorite managers of the current day. Every time that I see him, his ability to shoot well in kayfabe takes him to like a Heyman-esque type of level. Um, so that was really, really fun. And Knox made me laugh with the punching in the face line whenever he was like, well, what do you really want? You know, and Knox says the really punchy in the, uh, he's like, what do you really want? Knox is like, I want to punch you in the face. That great line. And I think they're trying to build this unstable thing with Knox. Like he's supposed to be crazy considering Kyle Davis was like, I'm surrounded by crazy people. Uh, and, and in reality, I, I didn't like that line from Kyle Davis too much. Cause I was just like, no, you're, you're diluting Knox is crazy. 
Knox uh, should be the one who's crazy. You shouldn't be surrounded by crazy people uh, because Murdoch seems like a determined type of guy who's like, I'm going to whip some ass. And then you have Aaron Stevens over there who's like the confident guy. And then you got Knox who's just like being wacky and kooky. Like, don't take away his thunder on being the crazy guy by saying, oh, I'm surrounded by crazy people. Because now you suddenly go, well, how are they crazy? And now you're not paying attention to Knox's eccentricity anymore. So that was my problem with that line. Uh, but I did like that Murdoch mentioned that he wants a strap back because it helped everybody remind, like, be reminded that he's not a tag team wrestler. He's he was a former NWA heavyweight champion. Like that, that's a very very big deal. Like he he was at the top of the food chain, and now he's going for the tag straps, and that's out of desire, or maybe it's out of requirement. There's a lot when he said like that's what he wants because you go wait that's not the story. What do you mean that's what you want? It felt like a seed being planted for the future. And I loved that because you go, wait, I know Murdoch and Knox are tight, but like, what if this came down to Murdoch wanting that belt? He didn't say he wanted to win that championship with Knox, but also too, Knox didn't say he wanted that belt. He just said he wanted to punch Aaron Stevens. Uh, so the fact that they were gunning for those championships at the beginning, and it was like, we'll do anything that we can to get an opportunity at them. And then Murdoch goes, nah, by the way, I kind of want my old strap back. Uh, it's, it really shows like there's a lot going on in the Murdoch character's mind. And where that's going to go, I don't know. Uh, but I am excited to see it. Uh, but unfortunately for this promo, it began to kind of spiral towards the end. Um, and it really needed that fat cut. Like it was just going on a little too long. And I think we all kind of felt it. Um, because you could tell that Aaron was expecting a little more back and forth from either the audience or Murdoch or Knox or even Kyle Davis. He was expecting something and the audience wasn't giving it to him. So there was just a lot of breath. There was a lot of beats in what he was saying that kind of almost made you feel like, is he thinking right now? Does he not know where this is going? Is he, is he looking Is a producer trying to contact him right now? Like it takes you out of the moment. So I don't know if he, what he was expecting there, but maybe we could have gotten to the point a little faster for it, uh, because the audience was in it. I was in it. We were all in it. And then suddenly, once it kind of got to the round table thing, we were like, okay, um, yeah, we're, we're running with you. But like, we, we kind of want to understand this a bit better. And I feel like you're just taking up time to take up time. Uh, but I did have, I like how Davis continued to keep it on track at that point, even though I felt like he was wondering what was going on as well. Like, I looked at him and I was like, does he know? Uh, are they getting the go home symbol? Or are they, or right now in the inner ear, they're like, hey, by the way, like, uh, we we might need another 40 seconds out of this. Can you push it? <laughs> like it, it felt a little fragmented in that regard, but for what it was, it got me interested in this round tables match. Um, and even aesthetically just thinking like, Oh, someone's going to go through a round table. That seems fun. Uh, so it definitely did its job uh, for a promo to hype up a match and for the tag team championships. I think that's going to be really, really fun. So good for them. Um, I enjoyed it. Would have liked the fat trimmed would have liked for it to be a little quicker. Uh, so overall, I'm giving it three out of five bells, but it could have been a four, but it's definitely getting three out of five bells. And for our next promo, it is Camille Brickhouse and Tom Latimer. And I believe I'm saying Latimer's last name properly. I, I want to say I am. If I'm not, I am very sorry. But um, it's Camille and Tom uh, with Sam Laterna, another name I may not be pronouncing well. So definitely let me know how to pronounce people's names or I'll try to dig uh, dive deeper a little bit more uh trying to retain as many pronun pronunciations i can never say that word right uh but trying to retain as many as possible is very very important to me because i have 
a name that's really weird. My birth name and birth family name is a very, very weird name. So I definitely understand the importance of pronouncing things correctly. Um, so, wow, Camille with the passion, y'all. Like, she comes in and having the censored language helps so much, even though I was a little like, mm, and I'll, I'll definitely get to that because it was all around a really solid promo, but it was just not enough information for me with Camille. But it, that's fine because, you know, personally, I'd love to know why she isn't using her title rematch clause. Like, I felt like they skimmed over that. They're like, oh, yeah, we know you're not using your title rematch clause. Uh, is there anybody else you plan on fighting? And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. skip. W what do you mean? How, how's she going to have the championship for like over 800 something days, I believe? And then you're like, not going to try to go back for it. Like, it makes sense that you wouldn't try to go back for it. Like, what else haven't you done? She even says that. I've beat everybody there is to beat here. But still, kind of give me a reason as to why you don't want your belt back. You know, you had it for that long and you just go, nah, nah I'm good. I don't think I want it back. Like, let me know that as well, because I like we're definitely lost. Not unless she's went over that in the past. And if she has went over that in the past and I missed it, uh, I definitely apologize on that part of the story. But just for the I, even so, if that has been stated, I definitely think that Sam should have been like, we know that you said this and this is why you're not doing it. So do you have someone else you want to face? So then it kind of feeds the information to those who may have missed the episode where she talked about why she's not going for it because she was like, we don't talk about Camille and her title run a lot in the, in the overall world of the industry or the overall industry. Uh, but we should, you know, like Camille was dominating in the NWA, uh, as the women's champion. And that belt has a lot of prestige and a lot of history. And she was carrying it and like, a lot of people know who she is outside of the NWA and like, there's nothing against the NWA, but there's not a lot of female workers over there that is being talked about in the overall zeitgeist of professional wrestling. So the fact that Camille was doing that and carrying that belt for that long, uh, it was really important. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed her title run. So to think that she's not going to go back for it. Well, give me a reason why I'd love to know that. Um, and not, not personally, you don't have to like comment and say, Jaden, this is why, you know, I mean, you could, but, I'm talking about in the show, uh, so that way we can all catch it. Uh, but she doesn't have much else to do uh, now, so I'd like to see where they're going to put her. Uh, now, for Tom, Tom was good. Tom was good. And I, I think the promo was really, really, really good. But it was just as good as it was bad. <laughs> Not bad. It was just as good as it was forgettable. And the reason why I say that is because I really do like his delivery. And, you know, but he declared his allegiance to NWA saying, I bleed these letters, but he didn't explain why that was important. <laughs> he was just like, I bleed the NWA. And it's like, cool, but why? Like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I love that you love it, but like, let me know why that was important to what you were saying. So a little more clarity to his points would be great. Like the, you don't have a life like mine, like line, like, what does that even mean? Like, are you, are you saying like, you don't have cars like mine? Because then he goes on to say like, I've got my. Um, I can't remember the way he put it, but basically he was like, I got my safety net over here. Um, talking about Camille, his wife. And it's like, okay, cool. Is that what you're talking about? Like, is that what separates your life from EC3? I don't quite understand. And this could be a big character thing that I'm missing because I'm not familiar with this character at all. This was actually kind of my first time, uh, really getting to know him because my watching inside of NWA has always been very off and on, off and on. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast is so I can definitely start like deep diving into the NWA because I love this promotion and I've loved this promotion my whole life. So, uh, to kind of have my piece in that and like my little piece of the pie, essentially where I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm still a part of it just on the other side of it. Uh, that was very important to me. 
Uh, but I also, I would have liked to not see him shirtless. <laughs> He's got a fantastic physique. I'm not taking that from the man at all, but it is always weird when someone who's not on the card of the show that we're watching is in gear. Uh, but that is a personal preference of mine though. Um, but it was a great work. Um, it was a great work. It was great work. Uh, I guess it's technically also a great work, you know, the acting. Uh, but it was almost a four for me. It almost was. Uh, I just wish it had more memorable dialogue. Like I said, everything that they said was solid. Like it was, it was solid, but I was like, what's the point? I don't really see the point. Even like Camille saying you mess with my husband, you know, like that type of thing. And it's like, what do you mean mess with him? Like, like what, what happened? Like you didn't give me any more information on that. Like, why did he do that? Um, and I think that's something that's really important for anybody who's like listening to this for notes from a writer, uh, whatever you're doing, make sure you kind of feed a little bit more exposition in there. Somebody should be delivering exposition. Uh, Sam, you know, she's in there. That's, that's her job, you know, is literally, she's not there to just ask questions. She's there to give some exposition, explain to the audience, what, like the things that are important. So maybe the, the workers themselves don't have to repeat themselves over and over again. So Sam could have been like, you know, Oh, how do you feel about EC3 doing this to Tom? And then she's just like, I'm a mother lion, you know, you don't for And you know, like, and she like gets super angry. I would have loved that. Um, personally, I think that would have been really, really good, but unfortunately, um, she just kind of skimmed over it. So if it is a point that I missed in the past, that's unfortunate, but either way, Sam, whoever Kyle Davis, whoever's there, they, they need to be feeding this information to the audience. They have to. Uh, so that way the workers don't have to repeat themselves. And there's a, a big gripe that I have with that a little bit later. So we'll get, definitely get to that in a little bit more of the analysis of the show. Uh, but to conclude this part, I give the segment a three out of five bells. Definitely. I, I want to see more of them. I like Camille being with Tom. Um, I watched a lot of Camille when she was with uh, Nick Aldis and I love, and that was when she wasn't talking. She was just being silent. I still thought she was just, just the fact she was standing there was killing the promos. Um, and I live in Durham. So, um, you know, shout out to Durham. I, I definitely appreciate Camille. She's in, um, she's somebody I think about a lot when I think about this city and I'm like, Oh no, no, we got Camille. Uh, so that's awesome. So like I said, overall three out of five bells. And we got another match about time we got another match i feel like we've been talking about promos for like the past 40 minutes um we have Jax dane versus chris silvio esquire this match all right i feel like people are gonna kind of give me some shit for this but it's okay i loved it i love old school storytelling type of matches it's why i'm a roman reigns fan i think that every single match the bloodline has or the well not now but uh, when everything was really going heavy, it was all story-based, and it was just so fantastic. And I felt like that's what this was. And it was. It, it, it was exactly what it was. Because the whole thing, like, I think they took up, like, maybe seven, eight minutes of the show, it almost felt like. Uh, but Esquire delivered a hell of a promo. And I think that if the audience would have been a little bit more invested in Storm, then all those moments that would have, you know, they would have hit. Because Esquire was leaving a lot of chances for the crowd to go, oh... And really like laying that heat heavy. Uh, but the audience just didn't seem to care about Storm. And I don't know why that is because he is a bit of a legend. And maybe that's why he's taking a break right now being written off is because maybe he is a little bit over, you know, oversaturated. Because, I mean, that's a studio audience. It's kind of like the NXT crowd, you know, or like the old Philly crowds in ECW. You've got a returning audience. 
I would have expected them to be a little bit more invested, but the way that, you know, when Esquire was saying these things, they just kind of seemed like whatever, you know, like, ah, you know, they were chanting about his legs and stuff. They seem, I mean, they were having fun, but they didn't seem to be emotionally invested. Uh, so that, that kind of like that bummed me out a little bit. Um, and you know, Dane was waiting until that last line to let go. That was awesome. I love that where he kind of gives that look and unzips it. And then he hits that lariat and then they go into the close up in the camera and he just glares into the camera, like amazing visual storytelling. That was so good. Um, but though I wasn't a fan of the word weak being the trigger, uh, that now that may have been something that I missed from his character's lore. I'm not sure. And if, if so, let me know. But I just kind of felt like that line wasn't strong enough to set him off. Like, he he should have been set off by maybe something else or maybe something a little more personal because, I mean, they were talking about earlier, and I could be mistaken, let me know if I'm mistaken, but they were talking about I'm paying your bills and da-da-da-da-da. Like, that was very personal. And then calling him weak is what sets him off? Like, nah, he's been called way worse in his life. So I would have loved to see, like, maybe something like a reference to his life or something like that. And he goes, and that's why I had to get you out of this kind of debt because you can't be a real man to do da 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 da. And then it's like zip and the crowd goes, Oh my God. You know, it's like, Oh, you know, cause I mean the whole point behind that moment is, is the whole crowd needs to be like, nah, if you don't whip his ass, boy, I will, you know, like that's how the crowd needs to feel like, yo, let a dude say that to me. I'll, I'll pull him out into the street. Like we need to feel that way. So the fact he was like, you're just weak and he unzipped and I'm like, Oh, well, I mean, I guess, like if that's his trigger word or something that's dealing with everything, but I I don't understand that personally. I didn't feel, you know, enticed to want to run across the ring and snatch his ass up or hit him with a lariat, but I guess he did. So um, if that doesn't have anything to do, because like I said, it could be ignorant to the word, the trigger word weak, but if that doesn't have anything to do with it, I would have loved to see something a little more personal because this whole storyline feels personal. And, you know, and even if it's, you know, brooded in, not realism, you know, it's rooted in story and or anything, but you know, like, it's kind of like what Mick Foley says all the time. Like we, as an audience always look for that moment where we go, nah, that was real. You know, we want, even whenever it's a work and we're working ourselves, we want to work ourselves. So give us a reason to work ourselves as the audience. And I think that like a lot of the things he was saying in his backstage promo, which could have been shot afterwards. Like that's kind of the thing with the studio wrestling thing. You don't know when things are shot and when things are aired. So that could have been an idea they had afterwards. So it's really hard to kind of give them, uh, you know, a little bit of guff over anything. Cause you kind of go, well, I don't know when they shot it and I don't know when they cut it. Maybe they were a little bit more inspired, but, um, either which way that didn't seem to work for me, but man, when Dane snatched his ass, you know, like I would have loved to see him strangle the hell out of Esquire, like just strangle him. Like who cares if he's tapping? just keep shaking his ass around while the ref's like doing it. And he's screaming it. Cause he's supposed to have snapped. This is supposed to be a snap moment, right? So he shouldn't have let go of that. Hold that thing in for as long as you can, especially because troop comes out and kind of grabs him right afterwards. Like just keep shaking his ass around for a little while, lay it in because the match only has two spots. So make them count. And then, you know, uh, troop comes out at the end and I, you know, I guess he's like a Pokemon. He only says like <laughs> certain things. I don't know. He's like, here's my catchphrases, by the way, in case you forgot. Uh, but um, still, I didn't enjoy Troop's part in it, but we'll see how that builds and everything and goes in the story. But still, like, I definitely love this segment. And I'm um, like I said, 
I feel like I'm going to get shit for it, but I give this segment four out of five. Uh, four out of five bells, amazing storytelling, and I genuinely can't wait to see more. I really can't. So four out of five bells. All right, so our next one is a promo with AJ Carzana and Joe Carzana, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, and this is also with Sam Laterna. <laughs> I really, like... I'm going to figure this out. Maybe not by the end of this episode, but I will figure it out by the next one. So in my opinion, AJ is going to be one of the biggest stars when he finally lets go of himself. And what I mean by that is his energy, like his, his entire vibe is very McFoley-esque, is very Cactus Jack, the way he's delivering these lines, the, the, the feeling he has in them and his storytelling ability. And But right now he feels like he's holding back. But those times, those little times where he lets his energy like go wild, that's who I want to see all the time. Because I love that first line uh, that he he says, and that's something to work on for the, oh, oh excuse me. I love the fist line. I accidentally said first. I love the fist line where he says, and I got a right hand that'll knock out any man. I believe that's what he said. I love that line. And like, that's something to work on for the future. I mean, that's something you could put on a t-shirt. I got a right hand for any man. Like, well, I'm a... That could probably be turned. Yeah, it could be probably turned into jokes. Give, you know, give heels something to work with. But, you know, I got a right hand for any man. That is a great line. Um, and overall, he had great storytelling, talking about taking him out and putting him down. And he was like, like, he should have been 10 years ago. Like, I'm not familiar with this team. I'm truly not. So when he says, you know, put him down like he did 10 years ago, I go, oh, like he should have been 10 years ago. I go, wow. Huh, there's a lot of history there. And now suddenly this entire situation, even though I'm not familiar with it, has now made me go, oh, maybe I should be familiar with it. And I love those little bits in there. So there's great, great storytelling. And he has his dad there. So here's something that I, here's a, a big part, and I was talking about this a little bit earlier about the exposition. His father's there. Why is his father there? Of course, it's probably storyline related. And he even says like, oh, you think I'm just going to stand around and let this happen? Da, 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 da. He's my boy, my son and boy. I'm going to be here. I'm going to have his back. That's great. Uh, but give dad a reason to be there. Give your manager a reason to be there, especially when you're a talker. You're a big talker like AJ. AJ's a good talker. So like, why is his dad there? Have his dad be there for exposition. Uh, because all of those little things where AJ's saying stuff like, well, I'm under the authority or, or uh, under the advisement by Billy Corgan to find another member for this tag team. So this tag team's not done. Like, I don't need to hear that from AJ. I don't need to hear that from AJ. We've got... Sam there asking questions. Sam could turn to her, uh, turn to his dad and ask his dad that question. And his dad says, I've been speaking to Billy Corgan and this tag team's not done. We are, st we're going to have another member. We're going to do this. We're going to go back for those championships. And then the microphone goes back to AJ and he's like, dead weight, dead weight, you know, very Mick Foley style. And cause I mean, that's what he was doing. What the problem is, is that he was feeding us information at the same time as being passionate. So like we'd get this information and then he would go, Oh, now I'm passionate. And then he'd go, wait, wait, I got to give you more information as so you understand why I'm passionate. But that's what the manager's there for. That's what Sam is there for as the interviewer. Give them a reason to interview and ask more questions. Give them a reason to give the audience more exposition. So that way you can just focus on that performance because AJ was giving it. And honestly, like just, just give them the heavy like emotion and let it burn. And it will always work. I promise you, AJ, like that character is going to constantly be laying it in. People will be talking about those promos in and out of the NWA. It just, you, 
it needs to, I keep saying you, like I'm talking directly to him. I don't know if you're listening, you know, like I'll go away if you are, but like still it's, it's really cool for me to see somebody with that kind of passion and to somebody who reminds me of Mick. Cause we haven't had a, a you know, a, a promo giver, like a good promo like that in a long time. It's been a long time since we had a promo like Mick. And I think that AJ has that and it's going to be so solid when he finally lets go and doesn't have to keep telling us the story in the process. So I give that promo four out of five bells. It could have been five. If he split it, literally didn't have to change a single line. Give the, uh, give all the exposition lines to the dad and have him deliver all the big, heavy emotional lines. It would have been a five out of five Um, because wow, uh, the writing was astounding here. I really, really did enjoy it. I just think that it should have been divvied up. So four out of five bells. So another promo with Mims and Zicky Dice with Kyle Davis doing the interviewing. Now, I actually did really enjoy this promo, um, but if it was just Mims, I would have felt like this would have been a five out of a five, a very, very low five. It probably could have been like maybe a high four, uh, but it was definitely almost there. And it's not that Zicky took away from it. I don't want to say that because I think that Zicky has something very old school, very entertaining. Uh, but there's just something missing there and I'll get to that. So Mims delivers a promo with the confidence of a performer 10 times his experience. Like there's just something about this man that like the way he can talk is just super refreshing. Uh, his storytelling, his presence, uh, presidents, <laughs> his storytelling, his presence, his confidence is all over the place and it's fantastic. And I do absolutely love the aggression at the end. But my only, my, my only critique, I'm getting tongue-tied. I've been talking for like almost 45 minutes. Thanks for hanging out, guys. Um, <laughs> but I love the aggression at the end, but the only critique for it is that it didn't build. You know, like, think about uh, those Dusty Rhodes promos, like the Hard Times promos and all that type of stuff. It builds. You know, he's talking at the very beginning, and then every now and then he gets a little, a little more into it, but then he comes back down, and then he's just getting more, and he's hyping himself up, but he's like, he's trying to keep himself down until he just can't no more. You know, very Mick, like I said. Um, as, as you can probably tell, I'm a huge, you know, Mick promo fan. Uh, but like that, those dynamics, those raising those dynamics, letting them know like those ups and downs and that roller coaster ride of emotion that allows them to keep up because I was keeping up with Mims. I really was. Uh, but the problem is, is that it didn't let us rise with him. Like, so the fact that he came out of nowhere with the anger and then the aggression and yelled, and then he was like, I'm gonna beat that ass. I was like, Oh shit. But then it goes to Zicky Starks, uh, Zicky Starks, <laughs> Zicky Dice. And it goes over to Zicky and I'm like, oh, okay. So now we're slowing down. All right. Now we got to slow back down again. Cause then Kyle's got a segue. So it, it was almost kind of like a hard stop, right? Whenever I felt like we were there, then suddenly it got hard stopped. But I think in time, Mims is going to have it. If Mims kind of, there was these moments of swagger and the way he would look over at the crowd. And like, I would like, he reminded me so much of where Ric Flair could be. Get that man a suit. Get that man a suit and have him talking about all the stuff he's been doing, all the hotels he's been in. And I'm, oh man, I would watch the hell out of that guy. Because there's a lot of people who try to put on that that gimmick in wrestling that like, oh, look at me, I got a lot of money. And I'm like, I don't believe you, that's a gimmick. But Mims, Mims could convince me he does. Because he's got the swagger of somebody who has a lot of confidence and he's earned it somewhere. So if you told me he earned it by having a company and does all this type of stuff on the outside, or he's like, 
maybe he owns a gym and the, like I don't know man there's just a lot you could do with that character that can make me believe that that is a self-made millionaire and he is going to run this bitch uh I, I'm really really impressed with him now Zicky has it like I was saying before he has it he just has no continuity and the reason why I say that is is you know for example he asked Mims like, what, what's your name? I don't even know your name. And the crowd goes, oh. And then, like, the next line, he mentions his names. And he was like, Mims? And I'm like, uh. but you just said you didn't know his name. Granted, the crowd was chanting Mims. But, like, why would you acknowledge that? You're clearly trying to insult him. Let the insult ride. You just took that away immediately the second that you said that. And now you have to start fresh. And it's like the TV channel touching yourself line. That would have been really good. If it was relevant. Like, maybe... Maybe if he said something along the lines of like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I find myself like, uh, you know, turning through the channels at night and da 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 and wondering where you are and all this type of stuff. Or I, I find myself looking through the channels and et cetera. And then he delivers that line. He's like, I'm on the same channels that you touch yourself to. You know, not only am I on the big channels, I'm on the channels you touch yourself to as well. And then everyone's like, oh, shit, you know, then it would have had relevance. But the fact he just said it, I'm like, what's the point there? Is that a gay joke? Is that supposed to be funny? Like. Is that what that is? Uh, where's the humor here and why is it an insult? I can tell it's an insult and I could tell that it was intended for something, but I just don't really understand what or how or why or even where it was relevant to anything that Mim said. So it's that was a big uh, gripe for me. So it's all about like understanding where the insults are coming from because Zicky has the confidence to, to throw some great insults. He reminds me a lot of, you know, L.A. Knight. And that's good because I was a huge fan of Eli Drake when he was in NWA. He was one of the reasons why I watched NWA at one point. I was like, I got to keep tuning in for Eli Drake. Uh, and he reminds me of that type of worker. So he's definitely doing work over there. I just want to see a little more of that, you know, like give me a little more relevance and continuity to what it is that you're saying. Uh, so for this segment overall, I did like it, um, uh, but I also had my gripes with it, but I can say it got its job done. And, and guys, if we are doing anything here, we want the job done, right? And that's what they did. Uh, I'm excited for this television uh, match. It's for the television championship. It's them uh, versus each other. It's happening next week, I believe, which also kind of threw me off because at the end, Kyle Davis is like, and it's coming up. I think he said something like coming up in 15 seconds or something. And I was like, that's not the main event tonight. So I don't know if that was a mistake or maybe I misheard that, but. Uh, I'm definitely excited for next week to see this championship match because one, I'm, I'm excited to see Mims. I, after that promo, I am so stoked to see Mims. So let's definitely see where that's going. And, um, if it was just Mims that, like I said, it would have ranked way higher and that's no offense to dice. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some continuity in what dice is saying, because he kind of feels like a bunch of Mitch Hedberg lines. Like it's like you're scrolling through somebody's Twitter <laughs> instead of it being a book, you're scrolling through their their feed and going, okay, you got a bunch of good one-liners, but I, they, none of these make sense with one another. Uh, so overall, I give this segment a three out of five. So and here is our main event. This is our big marquee match. It is Silas Mason, the Thrillbilly versus Dak Draper. And this is for the NWA National Heavyweight Championship. I have to start off with saying, I feel like I've seen Thrillbilly before. Uh, but he's he just did not seem to stand out to me besides his look. I feel like I've seen more of him in photos and stuff like that than I've actually seen him work. So getting to watch him work was so refreshing to see a beat down type of worker again 
reminded me of, you know, Bradshaw in the 90s, uh, you know, Bradshaw and Farouk with the APA. And it really reminded me of Bruiser Brody that, oh, man, I just I can't even explain how good it felt to see, you know, big, big men slapping meat type of thing. Like he felt like that kind of worker. And it just felt really nice because you're seeing a lot of you don't see that a lot anymore. And there was one point where that's all you saw. And now you don't see that worker anymore. They're like, um, they're kind of buried in there. Like, that's why I really love Mark James, the brute. Uh, he's one of those people who's just very beat down when you get hit, you know, and you know, and you like watching those types of people, especially when the people who don't watch wrestling and you go, Oh yeah, you know, all that other stuff, you know, but this guy right here, this guy hits for real. You know, you love to say that to people who don't watch wrestling, uh, very often or at all. And Thrill Billy is somebody that you can definitely say that about. Um, <clears throat> now, Dak was quick. He wanted those pins, and I loved it. I definitely did. Even when he was clumsy, which he was clumsy quite a bit, I actually did like it because it added to his desperation. He seemed to kind of almost be jittery at times, like he really, really wanted that belt. And like I said earlier, if you are if you're a competitor and you're working for that title, you want to be desperate. You want to be going for those pinfalls. You want to be trying to go, 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 go. Because like you want any opportunity that you can to get one over on the champion. Because why? They are a champion for a reason. You can never dilute your champion and say you're only there by luck, yada, yada, yada. Because the second you do that, it's like big deal if you do beat them. So in this case, they need to be going for those fast pins. And Draper was doing that constantly. And that was really, really fun to watch. Because with someone like Silas, too, you know, because that desperation, that clunkiness, you don't want it clean. That's the thrill Billy. He's like a bruiser Brody. He's throwing them fists around. That's big, heavy meat coming down. So you want a hectic. You know, fighting a beatdown worker like thrill Billy should be a chaotic fight, and it should not be a dance at all. And that's what made the championship feel like it mattered in this. And like, and I, I honestly, for the whole match, I felt like this belt matters. This is why the belt's on the main event. This is why it's important. Um. So here's something I do want to say about Dak and it is a, it is a critique, but it is also too like, I personally feel something very good about him. When I watch him, when I look at him, I was like, he's got a good look. He's got all these things. He's just missing something. And I realized what he's missing. And I think it's a little bit more of a physical identity because just because you can, doesn't mean you should, you know, I think that's really, really important in professional wrestling, especially now with all the amount of, you know, athleticism that's out there, because I think that Dak needs to take those springboards and high spots off the menu personally. Uh, and you know what? I think the crowd kind of agrees with me because, you know, when he did that big, like stalling, you know, swirling suplex, that back suplex and, you know, the crowd like popped, the boom, like the second it hit the crowd lit up. But then he hit that springboard back elbow or he ran up the top rope and then did that, you know, uh, that blind crossbody. They didn't really say anything. And it was like, it was because it was like, it wasn't that he didn't do it. I mean, he did. It's just like, it didn't look that clean at all. Like it, it feels like Dak wants to be Cesaro because he does have a Cesaro look to him, uh, or Claudio Castanoli. He wants to be a Claudio, but in reality, he's more of an Orton. And, and the reason why I say that is because it was kind of an epiphany that I had the other day where I was thinking about, like, could you take any of these workers now and throw them in the past? Or theoretically, could you take these workers and put them in the future? Who would work or who's timeless and who's not? And Orton's one of those people. And it gave me like this big, you know, appreciation for him where I went, wow, he he's timeless. 
Orton can be in any generation and have a good match with somebody. He can have a good match with a Kenny Omega. He can have a good match with a Ricochet. He can have a good match with a Big Show. He can have a good match with a Great Khali. He can have a good match with a Giant Gonzalez if he wanted to. I, I personally think that he could have had a banger with Gonzalez. It's Orton. It, it would have been this cerebral thought process thing where he's trying to find all these holes and da-da-da-da-da. I think that's where Dak is at because he's got that look. He's kind of got that posh feel to him. Not that like Orton that we see now, but like the 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 legacy of before Orton where he's like in the suit and he's like, oh, I don't care. I like the girls and the legend killer and da-da-da-da-da. I kind of get that feeling from Dak. And he has that look to him. And when he hit that back suplex, I was like, yo, there's some secret power in there. And if he used that as part of his gimmick where it's like, oh, you never know when he's going to unleash that power, which is what Cesaro did. Oh, Man, that is that's amazing. And I would love to see more of him out of or more of that out of him. So just like cut the high spots because honestly, like, and this is if you are listening, Dak, I think this is really important to say because yes, you can do them, but the crowd didn't pop for them, at least in what I saw. Keep in mind, I haven't seen your other matches, but in this vein, the crowd didn't pop for them. So take it off the menu and save your body a ton of damage. Those are big bumps. And do you really need to be taking those bumps? Do you need to be risking that middle rope snapping and throwing yourself to the outside when the crowd responds bigger to a suplex that you're doing? No, you know, like you don't need to be risking your body. You can have a lot longer of a career and a lot healthier of a life cutting out moves that don't seem to get the audience over. And I think that that is a, or don't seem to get over with the audience. And I think that that is a very important note for any worker out there who's doing all these big spots and is like, do you really want to, or do you really need to? And it's a, it's a battle between want and need, but definitely keep in mind that like you only have a limited amount of bumps. Do you want to take them? And do you want that mistake to happen one day? Like Cody doing the Cody cutter is fine. Um, because it's WWE, but even their ropes break, like he's, he's trusting them because it's WWE. But I mean, I don't even know if I would, cause I've seen them break on some ridiculous stuff. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a risk every time you do it. And you have to ask yourself, like, is now the time and place to take that risk? Uh, but with this match, I had a lot of fun with it. It was really good. Uh, don't do percentages, but this would have been a really high three, in my opinion. It, it would have almost been a four. Uh, might as well have been a four if Dak just, if he did a little bit more of those suplexes and a little bit less of those high spots and that type of stuff and the kip up. I'm sick of kip ups. Please, everybody stop kipping up. Um, <laughs> just find a new way to get up. There's multiple types of kip ups. Just Google like kip up alternatives and try to find that. Because everybody's Shawn Michaelsing, and then, you know, do, or they're actually doing the Daniel Bryan because they kip up and put their arms out and they shake them. Uh, just just stop, everybody. Just just find something new. I promise you, it's out there. It's definitely out there. Uh, but yes, in this case, I, I rounded it up to a four. Good match, guys. Good, good match. And a great main event. I, I liked it. And Thrill Billy, I'm impressed. I cannot wait to see more. I want to see him. If Thrill Billy ever worked Trevor Murdoch, that had to have happened before, but I, I would love to see that match. That feels like that's going to be a beatdown. Um, but yeah, four out of five, I give that second. And that concludes my episode of, or my breakdown of all of the matches that were on this episode. And now I'm going to give you my rating for the entire episode of NWA Power, episode 128, Keep Your Enemies Close. And that is a three out of five bells. And that's basically me saying it was a good show. And am I going to go back and watch it again? No. Do I, do I feel like I wasted my time? Absolutely not. I think it was a solid show and I, I had a great time watching it. It was a lot of fun. 
Uh, I'm seeing new characters build. I know that they've been promoting this thing in NWA saying, like, oh, we got this new, uh, it's a new generation and that, that, da, 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 it's a new era for us. And I can tell, I can definitely tell they are putting a lot of thought into the booking and it's definitely showing. Um, I would have liked a little bit more of, I mean, granted your champion's not on the show, but I would have liked a little bit more mention of the champion because it is your big champion. And I would have loved, loved, loved to hear more about that. Um, as we close out though, I do want to say something. And I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that I wanted to talk about it at the end. Wow. Billy Corgan taking on Exodus pro. Um, that is really, really exciting because of the fact that like that is opening up the territory system. That is if Billy goes on and starts buying all these smaller promotions, they don't have to be bigger. Like that's the thing. Like if you're not familiar with this news, um, NWA acquired Exodus Pro, so they are now considered uh, NWA Exodus Pro, and they are acknowledging their champions, and EC3 will be defending his championship there in a very old-school way, not just EC3, but anybody who's an NWA heavyweight champion. That's what made the World Heavyweight so popular. That's what made it so important, is that you never knew who you were going to see the NWA championship face, and what's really exciting about this is that this is the different part about it, is that this is going to open up a brand new door for new people to come into the NWA. Because back in the day, whenever you knew Ric Flair was t- taking on the territories, you knew Ric Flair wasn't going to lose it in some random podunk place. And because then that was going to be the champion. And then that their person in that like small little town was now going to end up being the NWA heavyweight championship. And the champion is going to have to travel the world. That wasn't going to be the case. So, like, looking back on history, if you were in the know, you kind of knew that there was no way Rick was going to drop it. But in this day and age, there's so many amazing workers in all of these places that have never been seen before. Now, imagine what would happen if, say, like, out here in North Carolina, um, there's the UPWA or Firestar or, you know, um, down in Fayetteville. There's also, I know they run the 2-6 Academy. Um I can't remember their name right now, but like, just think about that. Like, think about the concept that like their, like if, if Billy Corgan acquired that and then here comes EC3 and he loses to some person that no one even knows exists. It just so happens to be a top worker in a small town. And then now all the wrestling rags are going to talk about it because they're like, who's this guy who beat EC3 for the NWA heavyweight championship? Like, who is this guy? Everyone would talk about it. It keeps professional wrestling on its toes in a time where it desperately needs it because wrestling is it's back to the Monday night war thing again, but it's not, it's the companies aren't facing each other. They're not wishing ill on each other. They're not trying to kill each other. Everybody's supporting one another, which is great, but it's the fans now that are against each other. It's, it's not WCW versus, you know, AEW it's AEW fans versus WWE fans. And it almost comes to see it almost, seems to kind of split there because you got ring of honor and new Japan pro and everybody like this on one side. And then you've got it all on the other, um, with WWE and NXT and all that type of stuff. But NWA is in the cusp. It's in the middle and all of these promotions that are forgotten or not paid attention to. And they just kind of seem to sit on the sidelines over here. NWA has an opportunity to be like an ECW and who knows which direction that's going to go. But I definitely think that it's going to be really, really, really important in the long run. And I think that what Billy is doing with this expansion is going to be amazing for professional wrestling. So 
I wanted to take a second to comment on that and I'm excited to see where it's going to go. And I'm overall just excited for wrestling right now. And that's what this podcast is. So thank you guys for hanging out. If you want to keep up with me, it's at Jaden Frost presents across everything. You can find this on everywhere where podcasts are found. And also too, follow me on Instagram, follow me on social or wherever you want to follow me. I'm all over the place. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to do a video version of this podcast yet. I've been toying with it, but I know that I wanted to go ahead and get this out because this is something I really want to do. Uh, so thank you guys for hanging out with me. And um, I look forward to talking about next week's. Let's see uh, who walks away with the TV championship. And uh, are they going for the women's championship, the tag team championships next week? I think they are. That's exciting. Like that's going to be a big time too. And that's just on Tuesday. So um, thank you guys for hanging out and um, I'll see you next week.